0: All right, guys, if you have your study sheets, we're going to be looking at 1 John. We're going to be in chapter 1 today. And we're going to be starting a new series. We're going to call it Love Letters from John. And so basically over the next few weeks, maybe a couple months or more, we're going to be looking at 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And the theme through these letters is kind of the theme of love. But John's letters are an interesting, especially First John. First John is an interesting letter because it's not like some of the other letters in the Bible that we have, the other epistles. It doesn't really start off with John to my friends over somewhere else. He just goes right into the discussion. In fact, this is why some scholars feel that actually what we have here may actually be a, th- a th- excuse me, a sermon or maybe even a theological, doctrinal statement that he had, that was passed around through all the churches. The time of the writing of this letter is somewhere about in the latter part of John's life, so it would be somewhere around A.D. 90. So he's the last surviving apostle at this point. He's the last surviving. All the other apostles are dead, martyred. He's the last surviving. And even for him, it's not been great. He was exiled to the Isle of Patmos at one point. At one point, the Roman rulers stuck him in a vat of boiling oil to kill him, to execute him. Uh, and miraculously, he didn't die. So he, he died a natural death later on. But this is one of his letters, or, or a treatise or something. We call it a letter. But this is a document from an, an apostle who... It's, it's almost like it's 60 years after Jesus' death now. And the gospel has gone out through what is known as the Roman world at that point. Churches are being established. But there's also a problem that's emerging now. It's 60 years later. There's some heretical teaching that's starting to spring up here and there. And some of the heresy that's starting to appear at this time is, is a form of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is, 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 comes out of the Greek word which means knowledge. There's these folks that were emerging in the church that said they had special knowledge. And, and they saw the body as evil and the spiritual as good. And so they started emerging with this, with this new doctrine that Jesus was resurrected, but he didn't have a body when he was resurrected because the body's evil. That he was just spiritual when he was resurrected. And so John tries to address some of that in this letter. He's going to address some of that right here in the first four verses when we look at this letter of John. It almost kind of starts off like the Gospel of John as well. You understand there's a prologue, but what we're going to be looking at is the introduction of the prologue. So look with me at verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, These things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Okay, so we're going to basically take these four verses and we're going to kind of go down through them. We're going to look, first of all, at the very first part. The first section we're going to look at here is called the Incarnate God. And we're going to look at the very uh, first part of uh, verse 1. And so look with me right there. It says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and which our hands have handled. So we're going to talk about Jesus here. He's talking about Jesus, the incarnate God. So the first thing I want you to see is, is that Jesus was from the beginning. So when we talk about Jesus Christ, we're not talking about any ordinary man. He's not some tragic figure from history. He's not just some simple rabbi that was walking through Judea and Galilee at the time. We're talking about somebody who has been there from the beginning. John is making the point. And and, and here's what he's saying specifically. Jesus has always existed. Well, you say he was born in a manger, George. Yeah, Jesus was born in a manger. But before that, Jesus existed It's just that He was incarnate in flesh in the manger. But He's always existed. So when we talk about Jesus, we're talking about somebody who is God. We're talking about His divinity. He's always existed. He was from the beginning. In fact, Jesus, the way you could say it is, is eternal. Eternal. Because here's the thing. You and I live in... A state of being that Jesus doesn't live in. What do you mean by that? Now, he lived in it for a little bit because he placed himself into it. But you and I live in a state of being that Jesus does not live in. What is that? Time. Why do I say that Jesus doesn't live in? Now, he placed himself into it when he was among us in a human body. But Jesus is God, and who created time? God created time. He's the same past, present, and future. He's always existed. You and I are bound by time, right? Have you noticed what time does to us over as it goes on? You know, we're not the young, good-looking, whatever we were when we were in our teens and 20s, right? Now, some of you still are, okay? I forget, we still have some folks in that age group. But the rest of us who are older will tell you, as you get older, stuff starts happening. Crow's feet. Like, what's that? Something with your eyes. Guys don't care about it, ladies do. That's why they buy oil of Willet, okay? Do you know what I'm saying? Right? Right? You know, I mean, Dunlap disease happens. Do you know what I'm saying? There's a whole lot of stuff that happens, okay? You know, the calorie intake, which was so great back when you were younger, starts sticking with you now. Do you know what I'm saying? Because we're bound by time. Jesus wasn't bound by time. In fact, here's John talks about it in his gospel. So, so just keep your finger in 1 John. Go all the way over to the gospel of John, to the first chapter. Look at the very first two verses. Here's what John writes in his gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. So Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. So he's eternal. So we see his divinity here in this verse. Here in verse 1, we also see his humanity. Now this is where he, John's got to emphasize this because there are folks there who, who, are, who are not grasping it. They don't grasp the reality of Jesus' humanity. In fact, I'll be honest with you folks, here we are 2,000 years later, and you may not grasp it. The concept of Jesus being God, oh yeah, you can grasp that. But as far as the concept of Jesus being just like you and I, somebody physical, like I can shake shake Brand's, Brad's hand here, you know what I'm saying, and touch him and feel him, and I feel the warmth in his hand, you know. That coffee's doing you good there, bro, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, you know you and I can, we, that concept of Jesus isn't there. But John wants us to understand that concept. So here's what he says. John states that he heard, saw, and touched Jesus. And the emphasis is, look at it twice now, he says this. Our hands have handled. This is just a one-time touch. They have physically touched him many times. He's wanting to make the emphasis here that, here's what it was, that Jesus was a physical being. Now think about that for a moment, because the writer of Hebrews would tell us he was just like us, and was tempted just like us, except without sin. Because a lot of times we'll we'll get into a funk and Maybe we're dealing with stuff in our life and we'll say, you know, we have this concept, we have this lie that goes through our mind. I'll call it a lie because that's what it is. Jesus, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't understand what I'm facing. You don't understand. Yeah, he does. He had a physical body. He hungered. When he was on the cross, one of the the statements on the cross is, is I what? Thirst. You understand what I'm saying? Remember when he was in the boat and the storms were coming up? The disciples are all whacked out, crazy about it. Jesus is what? Sleeping. Okay? So he had a physical body. Here's the other thing. John is making the point that Jesus is more than just a message or an idea. This is the point he's making here. See, because here's the thing. Here's what's going to separate you and I in this room today. Because the Word of God is going to, this is what the nature of the Word of God is. The Word of God is going to separate people. And here's what's going to separate you and I in this room today. Because you could be coming here, but Jesus is nothing more than a doctrine to you. You could be coming here, and Jesus is nothing more than just just a belief system that you've just embraced or whatever. Or the reality is is that Jesus is real, he's God, and he interacts in my life. There's a difference there. You understand? If he's just a belief system, when you're done here at noon, if we get out on time, you've got the rest of your day and you're thinking about whatever the rest of your day. But if Jesus is more than that, if Jesus is God, if he's, he's real, he's, and, he's, and, and, and you understand that and he interacts in your life, it's more than just a message. It's more than just a doctrine. It's something that should consume you. It's more than just an idea. This is the point he's making here. He's wanting to make the point as his guys... I mean, think about it. This guy, he's the last apostle when he's writing this. All of the other guys that he was with with Jesus, are, they're dead by now. Most of those who saw him are dead. And he's trying to convey to them, guys, he is more than just an idea to embrace. You and I need to grasp that reality here. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is a living person. Jesus is a living person. Now, John's going to go one step further than talk about the incarnate God. Okay? Okay? Look at the last part of verse one. It's just a few words there. He says, "You know that which was from." He's talking about. We're going to talk about that which was from the beginning, that which we've handled. But look what he says concerning the word of life. Concerning the word of life. In fact, look at verse two. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declared to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Here's what we're going to do now. We're going to talk about the word of life. And we're going to basically, we can, in your notes, we've broken it down into two sections there. We're going to talk about salvation. We're going to talk about salvation. And then we're going to talk about John's witness because of that salvation. So here's the thing. John is not sharing about any ordinary person when he's talking about it. He's, not, he's like, oh yeah, we've seen him, we've touched him, we've handled him. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, if you, how many of you have had the privilege of meeting somebody who's important or special at some point? You you know what I'm saying? Maybe you have. You know, I've, you know, I've, I've met some important people. Okay? Maybe you've met some important people. And when you're talking, you know, let's say we happen, you happen to meet some, your star football player for whatever team you root for. So if it's a Steeler, you know, think of, you know, maybe you met Troy Palomalo or whatever, or if it's, Somebody else, you know, for whatever team you root for. And so you're talking about it with your buddies. And you can say, yeah, man, he shook my hand. It was kind of greasy, but he shook my hand. You know what I'm saying? And he talked to me. He's got bad breath. I wanted to offer him a mint. Here's a Tic Tac, bro. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you were talking. I mean, you you, you were saying you would kind of go into the details. This is how we met. You know? He's not talking about just meeting any ordinary person here. So the first part is, hey, we touched him. We, had, we saw him. We heard him. But he says, no, this is this is not some ordinary person here. We're talking about the word of life, is what he's saying here. We're talking about the word of life. So we're not sharing about an ordinary person. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is the word of life or salvation. The word, word of life. Also has the connotation there of meaning salvation. This Jesus is salvation. Now, that's some implications here. What do you mean, George? We in our circles today in North America of churches, evangelical churches. We we kind of engage in a reductionism. What do I mean by that? Well, when it comes to salvation, we want to make people understand and do it in the simplest way, and the easiest way, and we've reduced the whole concept down, of salvation down to, we just need to pray this prayer. You don't want to go to hell? Pray this prayer. And you're saved. Folks, That's that's not salvation. That's just a ritual. Salvation is a person. Salvation is coming to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is and embracing Him. You may never pray a prayer. Do you understand what I'm saying? You may never pray a prayer. You just come to that understanding and in your heart and your mind you embrace Him. Do you understand what I'm saying? You confess Him as Lord. See, when we... So oftentimes but we'll tell people, you know what I'm saying, we'll reduce it down to a prayer, and then we've got people living like hell, even cursing his name, and then we'll say to them, well, you're okay, I remember when you prayed. First of all, the Bible very clearly says you can't curse Jesus because the Holy Spirit will only convey to you that he's Lord. You can't do that. So what I want you to see here is that he's saying Jesus is the word of life, meaning or salvation. This is the point he's wanting to make here. He said, I'm not just talking about some ordinary person. I'm talking about salvation. When we talk about Jesus, we're talking about salvation. Here's what's going on. John's point is that Jesus is salvation. That's the point I was just making to you. That's the point he's making here, is Jesus is salvation. Jesus is salvation. So, okay, because of that now, because of the reality of who he is, that when we talk about Jesus, we're not talking about some ordinary person, that he is salvation. This is going to impact John's life. And that impact is manifested in what he's doing in verse 2. Look at what he says. The life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and declared to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So here's what he's saying. John is saying that this life was manifested in the person of Jesus. This salvation was manifested In the person of Jesus. Have you ever ever thought about what you read in the Gospels? Like when you read the stories, okay, if you're reading through a Bible plan and you're reading through it, have you really actually stopped to consider what you're reading? Who it's talking about? Because the Gospels talk about who? Jesus. That's what the Gospels are about. Jesus. Okay? So have you really thought to really think about it? What do you mean? Well, like if I go over to John chapter 8, and I look at that incident with the adulterous woman that the Pharisees brought to Jesus and wanted to know if they stone her or not, and they're trying to trip him up. And that's the passage everybody knows, you know, he who is without the first sin, you know, without the sin can cast the first stone or whatever. And, you know, of course they slink away, and there's that woman. And, of course, she's been caught in adultery, so she was caught in the very act. How does Jesus respond to her? Yeah, he tells her to go and so no more. He, I'm not condemning you. How do you think she felt? Have you thought about how she felt? Have you thought about how she felt? That'll overwhelm you. What about the woman who's got the issue of blood? She's had it for so many years. She's been the doctor. She's made herself poor. Nobody can cure her. She's basically a social outcast. Jesus is going into town. He's going to Jairus' house because Jairus' daughter is sick. He's going to heal her. And all she thinks is, if I could just touch, his hem," And she does, and she's made whole. And Jesus is like, whoa, hey, wait a minute. Somebody touched me. And the disciples are like, whoa, dude, Jesus, there's hundreds of people here. What do you mean somebody touched you? And she comes and acknowledges that. And Jesus says, your faith has made you whole. Have you thought about the perspective of her? See, this is, this is what I want you to understand. We're not just talking about an ordinary person here. We're not talking about some message or an idea. We're talking about a living person that interacts in your life. And when you read that gospel and you read the four gospels and you see Jesus interacting with people and the love and acceptance that he had with them, That's how he is with you and I. That blows our mind, doesn't it? We say, I think he was pretty harsh with some people. Yeah, you know who he was harsh with? Religious, self-righteous people. People who thought they had their act together. This is the point that John is wanting to say. He's saying that life was manifested in the person of Jesus. Here's what he's saying. John states that he has seen him and gives witness to his life. John is just simply communicating the reality of Jesus in his life. Folks, that's what our testimony is when you talk about evangelism. Evangelism is not the presentation of a doctrine. Evangelism is simply sharing about Jesus and the reality of who he is in your life. Do you know what I mean? Some of you are more passionate about your political candidate than you are about Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? And when you talk, especially when you get into an argument, if you're from one party with a dude from another party, you get so animated, if you just understand. But when it comes to Jesus, you just present some doctrine. He doesn't impact your life. John was impacted. How do we know he was impacted? Well, if you go to the Gospels, the Gospel, John John wrote the Gospel, but he never refers to himself. He always talks about the disciple whom what? Jesus loved. The picture of John in the upper room on the night in which he betrayed us is, is he's leaning against Jesus' breast. Wow. He just wants to be near Jesus. I kind of have the feeling we would be that way too, right? So this is the point that John's making here. He states that he's seen him and gets witness to his life. Here's what he says. He declares that this eternal life was from God the Father. He knows exactly who Jesus was from. He's not some pretender. This was from the Father. This is the salvation that comes from the Father, God the Father. In fact, here's what he's going to say. He's repeating himself here. John repeats himself in saying that this life was manifested in Jesus. Because look at verse two. He starts off. He starts off verse two, and life was manifested. And he says, "We declare that to you. We've seen it. We declare it to you." And look at the last part. And this eternal life was with the Father. And look what he says. And was manifested to us. He's repeating himself. He's wanting us to grasp the reality of who Jesus is. Hey, let me stop for a moment. How's your week been? Don't tell me. Think about it to yourself. How's your week been? It's been a bummer a week? Stressful? You're kind of glad it's Sunday, but man, Monday's coming. Maybe you had some disappointments. Maybe things aren't going well. Maybe emotionally you're a wreck, but you look okay here. What's going to get you through your week and your life isn't a doctrine. What's going to give you hope to hang on isn't a doctrine. It's a real person. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a real person. This is what John's talking about. It's, Jesus is real. How real is he to you? Because he says, it was real, real with me. In fact, when we go on now, he's going to talk about this message that he's proclaiming to us is going to allow us to have fellowship and joy. Look at verse 3. He says this. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write to you that your joy may be full. Here's what he's saying. John is saying that it is Jesus that he's declaring. He's not declaring some doctrine. He's declaring Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. Why is he doing that? He's doing that So that we may have fellowship with him. See, teenagers are funny. I know some of you are parents of teenagers. Some of your teenagers are long gone. But do you remember, you know, when you meet your your kids' friends or whatever, or you hear your kids talking about their friends, and and they always do, right? So you kind of hear what's going on at their school and what's happening with their friends and stuff. And you know that some of them, especially when they're teenagers, they start dating. Okay? And then you hear about your, your friend's friend who's obsessive, jealous. And they, it's like when they got a girlfriend or a boyfriend, all they think about, all, life, all their life revolves around who? That one person. And it's like you want to say, hey, get a life. Do you know what I'm saying? Watch out. But how many of you know what I'm talking about? Okay? It's like, that's not normal. Okay? John's not like that when it comes to the person of Jesus. He just doesn't want to keep Jesus to himself. He wants to share Jesus so that the rest of us can have the same fellowship with him as he has the fellowship with Jesus. Isn't that awesome? I mean, Jesus is so real to him and interacts in his life that he wants to share it with everybody else. He's declaring it to everybody else. Dude, do you understand what I'm saying? He's doing it so that we may have fellowship with him. And the basis, should be, there should be an I in there, the basis of this fellowship is salvation through Jesus. The whole basis of our interacting together is Jesus. It's not whether or not we root for the same football team. It's not whether or not we vote for the same party. It's not whether or not we have the same views of this, that, or another. You know? I mean, think about that. We can't do that, can we? I mean, just something like Hunting. When we get all of us hunters together and we talk about the best way to hunt, we're not going to have an agreement here. Some of you are going to sit there and say, archery. Some of you are going to say, hey, it's rifle. you 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 got some opinion about archers. And the archers got some opinion about rifle guys. And then there's those of you who are like, well, I live in both parties. I do both. And then we try to say, okay, which is the best rifle? And somebody says, well, it's my faithful whatever. Nah, no, nah, you want to get this. You know? I mean, we're going through that right now. We're, Sawyer wants a rifle. He's saving up his money. We're going to get him a rifle. So he talks to you guys here at church. Dad's been telling him a 30 out six. But some of you guys are saying, no, no, 7mm08. 270. 270. See what I'm saying? <laughs> we can't agree! We're not even getting into the company yet, whether it's a savage or, or a or whatever, you know? Or a clip, or a dropout, or a lever. I mean, come on! You know what I'm saying? But we can center our fellowship on who? Jesus. This is what John is doing. The basis of fellowship is salvation through Jesus. So he goes on here. Here's what he's saying. John states... That his fellowship is with the Father and the Son. He says, look, I'm sharing this with you so that you can have fellowship with me. But here's who I'm fellowshipping with. God the Father and the Son, Jesus. Isn't that awesome? So then he goes on and he says, look, I'm writing these things. Look at verse 4. And these things I write to you that your joy may be full. Here's what he's saying. John is writing these things so that our joy may be full. Now, let me just stop for a moment. That is a concept that is fleeting for us, isn't it? I mean, if we were honest with each other, I don't want you to answer me, but if we were honest with each other and I asked the question, how many of you would say that, yeah, my joy is full? We'd be pretty hard-pressed to have people raise their hand. Do you know what I'm saying? Because for, because life stinks, Stuff happens. Stuff happens. Okay. Unexpected bills come. I mean, we're getting ready to go on a trip. And I start hearing this hum in the front section of the vehicle. I'm thinking, what is that? Oh, no. That's a bearing. Yeah, oh, boy. Yeah, that goes with my wallet. You know what I'm saying? And so I've got to make an appointment to do that, and I don't think, well, we could just take the other vehicle. Well, the other vehicle's got something else, I've got to take it in on Monday. So it's all happening at one time. When it rains, it pours, doesn't it? Do you know what I mean? So joy is not something that we are readily, you know, it, cause, and we mistake happiness with joy. They're two different things. He's not talking about, I'm writing this so that you can be happy. He's saying that you can have joy, a sustaining joy. Okay? What is he saying here? The reality of Jesus and his salvation is the source of our joy. See, I can have joy in Jesus even in spite of the fact that my wallet's going to be drained this week. I can have joy in Jesus even in spite of the fact that the doctor may tell me something I don't want to hear. I can have joy even in spite of the fact that I've got relationship problems going on in my fa- home or my family. And I don't, but I've, I can have joy. I'm just giving you an example. So, so for some of you here, you want joy. But you're looking for it in the wrong places. You're going to find it, John is saying, I'm writing this to you so that your joy may be full. What's he writing to us about? Who's he writing to us about? Jesus. Wow. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? I think we've got to do something with Jesus, don't we? But here's the problem. If he's just an ordinary guy, or if he's just an idea, or a message, or a doctrine, you're not going to have joy. But if he is who he really is, and if he interacts in your life, and you're seeking that interaction with him, you'll have joy. And that will sustain you through many troubled waters. And folks, believe me, there are troubled waters ahead. Let's just embrace it. Okay, next week we're going to progress on. We're going to get into verse 5 here in our study of 1 John.